Well, if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started, church, and open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1. Numbers 1 is the passage of Scripture that we're going to read uh, together this morning. I saw uh, Chad and Natalie Four here with us this morning. We've got our special friends here with us. So thankful to have you here, Chad and Natalie. Numbers chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verses 1 through 4. And the, the title of the message today is God's People in the Wilderness Numbered for War. God's People in the Wilderness Numbered for War. Let's begin reading God's Word in Numbers chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and let's read God's Word together. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel, who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them, company by company, and there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. And turn over to uh, verse 44. And let's read verse 44. You see the numbers specifically laid out for the census all the way up to 43. And then 44 continues on. These are those who were listed, whom Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel. Twelve men, each representing his father's house. So all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel... All those listed were 603,550. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, and over all its furnishings, and over all that belongs to it, They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there be be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. Let's pray together. Lord, we see your people in the wilderness numbered for war in this chapter. And as we enter into the book of Numbers and move out from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, seeing Christ in all of Scripture and move now into the book of Numbers, Lord, deepen our our love and our amazement at Your holiness and 
deepen, Lord, our understanding, God, of how great and how vast and how majestic you are, how powerful and mighty you are, God, and help us to just revel in who you are and your saving work. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in the midst of our church, and we give you all the glory for it. Strengthen us now as we turn to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good to see you, church. The the sermon this week is going to be on Numbers chapter 1, and it's highlighting the calling of God on the nation of Israel. They were called to be God's people. Actually, in Deuteronomy 7, it actually calls Israel God's treasured possession, and talks about that we are for God. We are God's people, his treasured possession. He chose a people for himself to be his treasured possession amongst all the other nations of the earth to advance his purposes on the earth. Now, the Hebrew word for the title of this book of the Bible, the book of Numbers, the Hebrew word for it is Bamidbar, meaning in the wilderness. So the original title of this in the Hebrew means in the wilderness. I actually like the name uh, Bamidbar and in the wilderness accompanying uh, and defining what this book is all about because the, the book, the name Numbers is actually deduced from the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament's word for uh, for the book of Numbers. And, and so it's just, it, it's it's good, but it, there's just something about the defining moment of what the Hebrew word originally means in the wilderness that captures really what this book is about. Let me explain. Um, The exodus out from Egypt for the people of God began in about 1446 B.C. And they first arrive, after they left Egypt, they arrive at Mount Sinai three months after their departure out of Egypt, covering the ground in what we covered in the book of Exodus. This moment right here in Numbers chapter 1 is about 1445 B.C., So exactly a year passes between the time of the exodus out of Egypt to the moment the tabernacle was first erected at Mount Sinai, recorded in Exodus chapter 40. Right here, at the very end, we're at the 20th day of the second month of the second year when they exited out from Egypt. So to put it in perspective for you, they camped at Mount Sinai almost a year before they set out from Sinai again to move on in their wilderness journey. And that time period covers the time period, the time at Sinai, from Exodus 19 all the way through to the end of Leviticus. It was kind of cool. This is a brief aside, but uh, Shannon sent me an article from the New York Times this week on uh, on the book of Leviticus in New York in the New York Times. I thought, oh, that's sweet. You know, just there it is again, just the Word of God out on display. And uh, how fitting, because we're going through, we just finished the book of Leviticus. So here we are, Numbers chapter 1. They've been in the wilderness for a year and two months. And Moses obeys God and takes the census that's commanded of him here in this chapter. So 20 days later, one year, two months, and 20 days, they depart from Sinai and they start heading toward the Promised Land. So it's kind of a a significant moment for the people of God. They've spent a year in one place. They've been at Sinai, and now they're actually moving forward. Um, Another thing to note is the book of Exodus and Leviticus cover one year of time. Numbers covers about 38 years, the, the, the duration of the wilderness wanderings. So the majority of the time in their wilderness wanderings 
And thus the name of this book in the wilderness, in the Hebrew, is so fitting. There are some powerful stories about God in the book of Numbers, which I'm excited to go through with you as we get through there. And I'm excited to look at this book together with you and see Christ also just uh, pointed to and, and displayed in the book of Numbers. Christ in the wilderness with his people, as the book of Corinthians talks about. In the book of Genesis, we saw God as creator. In the book of Exodus, we saw God as redeemer. In the book of Leviticus, we saw the motto, be holy as I am holy. And now here in the book of Numbers, we'll see the theme of God in the wilderness. God in the wilderness with his people. And that is such a precious theme for us to pick up on, church, because we, as the people of God in the new covenant, are also in the wilderness of this world, on the way to the promised land, the new heavens and new earth, heaven. And so the, the theme and the, the God's uh, watching over his people here, Israel, in the book of Numbers, is one that we can, we can just take great comfort in as we see God's dealings with us as well. You know, what, what do you do when you come across a census in your quiet times in the morning, you know, and you look at Numbers chapter 1, like we did in our Bible reading plan, and I'll be sending you an electronic copy of the August Bible reading plan on Tuesday, but as, as, as you look at the census in Numbers 1, which was part of our church Bible reading plan yesterday, what, what do you get out of that? What does it point to? Is it, is it significant in any way for us? I believe it is. The, the census that's recorded here, brothers and sisters, really records the faithfulness of God to his promise to his people. Uh, Josh mentioned in the call to worship this morning that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He always is. And if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abram that he would make him into a great nation. Do you remember that? And that through him and his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In Numbers 1, we see the fulfillment of that promise to a certain degree. We see that the people of Israel grew into a strong people. The census that was taken of the men 20 and above able to fight listed that they were at 603,550 men ready for war. Which would mean that the number of women and children would have made their total number perhaps Two to three million strong. And this growth happened in approximately 641 years of time between the calling of Abram, where Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac, to the time that they take this census, God grew Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, that little family, all the way to two to three million people with 603,550 fighting men ready for war. This shows the faithfulness of God to his promise. When he promises to Abraham that just look up and see the stars, so shall, so shall your descendants be. And brothers and sisters, when we look at God's faithfulness, we need it to instruct us that God shows his power and how he was able to not just cause the people of Israel to become more numerous numerically, but he sustained this amount of people in the wilderness for 40 years. Providing bread for them, and not just bread from heaven, 
meat, which even his own people said, God, how in the world are you going to do that? Well, is the arm of the Lord too short? No. And is the arm of the Lord too short in your life with what you're facing right now? No, brothers and sisters. Our almighty, all-powerful God is able to provide bread and meat and water from the rock in the midst of barren land. This is meant to bolster our confidence as we look at the people of Israel and their wilderness wanderings. We're meant to be bolstered in our experience of the faithfulness of God and to allow it to fuel faith in our hearts of God's promises to us. Because God's purposes, brothers and sisters, they go forward against all odds. And with God's people, there is strength in the wilderness because of God. So with us, there is strength in the wilderness because of our God. Not because of our strength, but because of the strength of God. God's purposes go forward against all odds. And in a way that defies logical explanation. How could it be that God would be able to sustain in the barren wilderness that many people for that long? It caused the nations to marvel, brothers and sisters. And it caused Jericho to fear when they were on the doorstep ready to go in to the promised land. And you see in the book of Joshua, which I can't wait to get. We get to go through Deuteronomy. We get to go through Joshua. This is going to be awesome. You remember Rahab talking about how the hearts of the men in the city of Jericho melted because of the fame of God that had gone forward. Word had reached their ears of this God who had provided for His people and sustained them in the wilderness during this time. And what you learn from this, brothers and sisters, is there's an impact being made to the nations because of God and His power and His might, the people of the Lord. People of the world were learning His name. And we also are meant to proclaim the name of Christ so that the people of the nations today can know the name and the fame of Jesus Christ and repent of their sins and trust in Jesus as well. So God's heart is that His name would be great amongst the nations. And He makes a name for Himself for what what He does with the miracle in the desert, in the wilderness over the 40 years, brothers and sisters. Not just a week. 40 years of provision. And He sustains them and causes the nations to know His might and His power. How can you stop God from fulfilling His purposes for His people? You can't do it. You can't do it. Nothing can. We serve an unstoppable God who is faithful to His people. Amen? And likewise, Jesus came out of the wilderness And He went all the way through His life on earth, fulfilling the law and overcoming every foe. He went to the cross, brothers and sisters, and accomplished His atoning work through His sacrificial death, and no one could stop Him from doing so. Let us look to Christ, and let us look to this awesome God as His people in the wilderness of this world now look to Him. And those who look to Him The Word of God says their faces are radiant and they will never be put to shame. And though the pathway through the wilderness is rough, God's people Israel did get to the promised land. And God's people will also make it to the promised land, dear church. 
we will make it as they made it because of the faithfulness of God. We're going to look briefly at three points. A people for God, a people for one another, and a people numbered for war. A people for God. You see in this last section of the, the just the care that God gives that His tabernacle, which symbolizes the presence of God amongst the people of God, is to have great care taken of it by the Levites. Uh, an entire tribe of His people is committed to tending to the tabernacle and guarding the tabernacle and guarding the Word of God that dwells in the midst of the tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. God's people were to guard that, and they did that through the Levites. And we see that this is a people for God. This is a distinct people from all the other nations of the earth because they have God in the camp. They have the God of all the universe dwelling in their midst. And even though other nations were more numerous than them, what made them distinct was that they had the presence of God in their midst and that they were a people called out to the Lord a people for God. We also see that they were a people for one another. You see this throughout the census being taken, that there's this emphasis here on numbering them clan by clan. Every every man's name is recorded, 20 and above who can go to war, and, and every single tribe is listed with the numbers. Every tribe except the Levites is listed with the number of fighting men ready to go to war. And you see that there's this emphasis, not just in Numbers 1, but throughout the entire Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament, that God's people are meant to fight side by side for one another and with one another, even as they go into Canaan and enter into the conquest of Canaan. They were not to do this as isolated individuals, isolated believers, but they were bound together in covenant relationship by a covenant making and a covenant-keeping God, as Josh mentioned in the call to worship. These are God's people who have believed in His name, who have trusted in Him, and who are trusting in the promised one to come, the promised offspring, Jesus Christ, who is promised to come so that all the nations of the earth might be blessed through Him. They are gathered together, and they are a people called out to God, but they are a people also belonging to one another. You see this corporate emphasis here when you see the census that they were all numbered individually by tribe, but then it was all tallied up as one. 603,550 men together. An army being raised up. That's what the church is meant to be. An army of brothers and sisters in Christ bound together with common mission and common purpose that the name of Christ might be exalted, proclaimed, and enjoyed in this earth. We are not simply to look at our own just individual faith and think of our relationship with Christ merely in terms of it's all about Jesus and me. We need to begin always, of course, with Jesus and me. But we must not ever forget, brothers and sisters, Jesus and we. We are being built together, First Peter 2 talks about as a dwelling place for God. That's all of us as living stones, the Word of God says, being built together. And you see that here in the census as they are being tallied up together so that they can move as one man with one purpose. 
for the glory of God. But they belong to God. They belong to one another. And so we should have a real zeal to not just only belong to God and not just only focus on our personal relationship with Christ, but also increase in our love for one another, our love for the church. And that should only increase through the years as well. It's not just about me and my relationship with God. It's not just about me and my family and our relationship with God. It's about me and my family looking out for your family and all of us binding together and making sure we're doing everything we can to help one another on this journey through the wilderness to get to the promised land. Amen? And I see that in you, church. With third and final point, you see, is that there, there are people numbered for war. This is a significant point here in relation to the book of Numbers. That They're numbered for action. They're not, God's people are never meant to just be static as if they're not really listed for anything. They're not there to just sit on the couch and just, oh, there's 603,000 people there just to kind of do nothing. And they're, they're marshaled for war. They're, they've got a purpose. They're going forward with a common mission and purpose. And, and that purpose here under the old covenant is that they were listed for war. And there's implied in this that there's battles up ahead that you're going to need to fight together. And so the battles look differently, old covenant to new. But brothers and sisters, we also, you see all throughout the New Testament, language of warfare. The Apostle Paul talking in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. He summarizes his entire Christian life at the very end by saying, I fought the good fight. In 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, admonishes Timothy, Timothy, be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers, do we have a category in our minds of being a good soldier? What does that mean to be a good soldier and to not involve ourselves in civilian affairs? We're called out from the world to be separate and distinct, a people holy to God. Distinct, and to make our mark, to serve our heavenly country as citizens of heaven, to do everything we can to advance the purposes of God in our generation. Brothers and sisters, we are a people numbered for action, numbered for war. We're not meant to simply be a group of people on a cruise ship as we've talked about throughout the years. God's people aren't meant to be a cruise ship. They're meant to be a battleship to go off and to accomplish the mission of God of advancing the name of Christ to all the nations. And in that, it's going to include spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, the entire section is talking about us putting the full armor of God on as men and women and children of God to make sure that we are girded for battle. We are in a fight, whether we're conscious of it or not. I think often the enemy wants to kind of drowse us to sleep to help us, to try to get us to forget that we're in a battle. We're in warfare. Spiritual warfare that is real and is serious. And we must have our eyes open in order to engage in it. We are to be the ones listed and numbered, ready for war. Ready to make our mark. Ready for battle. Let us put on the full armor of God, brothers and sisters. And let us remember that we are 
in a fight of faith. We are in the midst of much spiritual warfare and we are called to open up our eyes to see the reality of what's going on and be a people of prayer. To be a people watchful as the Puritans used to call the people of God. Those who are on watch were to be watchmen on the walls, on the city, always looking and always doing everything we can to make sure that the people of God are protected. And that the Word of God is protected. You see the emphasis in the book of Numbers here in in Numbers chapter 1, verse 53, that the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony. And part of it you see in the last phrase in 53, the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. There's a guarding of the Word of God, a guarding of the tabernacle, which symbolizes the presence of God amongst the people of God. Attention is to be given by God's church to see to it that the Word of God is guarded. And you see in throughout the epistles that the, the call, Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to your care. There's a call for us as God's people to guard the gospel, to not let go of the gospel, to not tire of the gospel, but to continue to affirm that it is the matter of first importance to do everything we can to guard it in our hearts as that of first importance, but also to do everything we can to protect its place as the doctrine of first importance for the church. To see to it that we never move away from the gospel and begin to focus on other things. And brothers and sisters, we need to guard the word and preach the word and do everything we can to advance the word of God as we live here. I think in our fellowship, I think you you can take a lot also from just the, the warfare mentality. We're called to get together, and we are called to be friends, but we're called to be brothers and sisters, linking arms together in our mission together, getting each other's back, fighting for one another, spiritual battles and spiritual warfare. We know our sister perhaps is embattled with a an especially hard week, entering in with travail of soul for the good of her soul, or for the good of a brother's soul, and being good brothers and sisters with one another in the church. So that when we say to one another, I'm praying for you, it's got force and power behind it. And that we are a people numbered for war, a people for God, a people for one another, and a people numbered for war. We defend, we protect, we guard one another. We guard the tabernacle of God, the Word of God, and we advance the purposes of God and the mission of God on this earth together. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. We want to be about what Jesus is about. Jesus is about building his church. Let us, brothers and sisters, be about building his church. And they give our hearts over to this spirit of zeal that you see here in Numbers chapter 1. There's just this mentality here. Number them for war, Moses. They must be ready for what they're going to face. And they are going to face battles. And we'll be looking at those. And here I can't help but make a connection as well to Ephesians chapter 4 where we're called to be equipped for ministry together so that the people of God might do the works of God. 
We're all to keep mission in mind. We are to be prepared for war and to remember that we're not in the promised land yet. Just like Israel is not in the promised land yet. They have a 38-year journey in front of them right at this point. And it's not going to be easy. But they're called to be sojourners. And as John Bunyan talked about in the book that he wrote, which is the second all-time best-selling Christian book behind the Bible, Pilgrims, Progress. We are called to be pilgrims. Called to make progress. Sojourners. Who are zealous to do good works. In Hebrews 11, verse 12, also a chapter we read recently in our Bible reading program as a church. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. When's the last time that you and I have acknowledged, friend, that we are strangers and exiles here on earth, as Hebrews describes us? Hebrews goes on to say, For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God has prepared for us a city. And we're called to look forward to that better city, that better country, and live our lives here as strangers, as sojourners, as pilgrims, brothers and sisters, called to make progress in our spiritual journey. So let us be a people for God, a people for one another, and also a people numbered for war. You know, there were a lot of ups and downs, joys and hardships that the people of God were to experience in the wilderness together. They experienced advancement together, and they also experienced setbacks and losses, difficulties and defeats. But God was always with them, providing for them, sustaining them in the wilderness, strengthening them for battle, forgiving them of their sins, guiding them to the promised land. Similarly, we are His people, and we are in the wilderness of this world, on the way to the promised land, and we are to be counted amongst the gathered people of God, a people numbered for war, ready to carry out God's purpose and mission. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow Him. And the Christian life and life within the church is going to be marked by many ups and downs and joys and sorrows through the years. But through it all, let us never forget, God is faithful. And we are to remain faithful to Him and His people as well. We are to look to Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, so that we, His people, might make it to the promised land. 
Over this last season within the life of our church, many of us have personally felt the pain of loss as friends have departed out from our immediate fellowship for various reasons. And though we rejoice to see some of them established elsewhere, we feel the loss of their presence here in our midst, worshiping Christ together with us. My wife Shannon and I have wept many tears over the pain we have felt and are still feeling in connection with all of that. And I'm sure many of you have felt the same. It's good. It's appropriate. It shows that our love is genuine. But as we hurt, let us band together and bind up each other's wounds. Amen? And help each other in the healing process with all of that. Let us do all we can to point one another to Jesus in the midst of these things. And do all we can to help those who are hurting to heal. And let us also look to our future as a local church with hope. Because God is working in our midst. And even through tears, I see extraordinary strength and depth of godliness and powerful sanctifying grace at work in all of us. There is a lot of love for and reliance on God, zeal for the glory of His name, and eagerness to rally together to focus our gaze on Jesus and exalt and proclaim and enjoy Jesus Christ as we go forward. Mario sent John and I a few photos this week of one was Daniel and Caitlin outside of the, there's this uh, big shopping center there where Mario and Jen will go shop every once in a while in Zoprasich and John and I were there when we visited them. And uh, Daniel and Caitlin were outside of the, the shopping center holding their new cell phones, their little flip phones, which are the only phones they can get in Croatia. And they were smiling and, and they said, cell phones and internet, check. <laughs> so they got that done this past week. And just bit by bit, step by step, the gospel going forth to the nations and celebrating moments like that. He also sent us a picture of, of him and Daniel in their little uh, church office where John and I also had the honor to worship with the church, that all fits in this little office, worshiping God and singing praises to his name. But there was a picture of Mario and Daniel. I guess they took a selfie in the office of the two of them working together. And I just thought, ah, hallelujah. Praise God. That's been happening in the midst of our weakness, not our strength. And that's to the glory of God. It's not like we can look and say, oh, look at how great of a church we are. Or how strong we are. God is showing His power through weakness. As a local church, as individuals, and that's the way He designs it. I think it's wonderful that as we sow in tears, we remember that we will reap with shouts of joy. Let's never forget that promise, brothers and sisters. And let us not forget our church motto exalting, proclaiming, and enjoying Jesus Christ. Let's not stop focusing on our great God, awesome, awesome God, and what He has done for us in Christ. 
beginning in August, August 5th and 12th and 19th, we're going to enter into a mini-series entitled Exalting, Proclaiming, and Enjoying Jesus Christ, which is our church motto. And it's been our church motto from the beginning. And I'm looking forward to the first three weeks in the month of August. Now you're going to like this. Hearing Josh Sharita preach on exalting Jesus Christ from Philippians 2. That's next week. Josh Sharita is going to preach next week. And I'm pumped. And then after that week, Ethan Prowse is going to preach on proclaiming Jesus Christ from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We were reviewing these sermons with these brothers this past week. And they were getting so fired up. And they were just firing us up. And we're like, oh, this is awesome. I just love how God is working and how God is moving in our midst. And then finally on August 19th, Jason White is going to preach enjoying Jesus Christ from Galatians chapter 4. And you're going to love that as well. Josh, Ethan, and Jason, some of you already know this, have sensed an internal call to pastoral ministry, eldership, for some time. And John and I have been discipling the three of them, along with other men, in a discipleship group for guys exploring a call to be a pastor. Their sense of calling has been affirmed to us by many of you as well, as you have shared with John and I evidences of grace in these three men, highlighting their godly character, their gifting, their zeal, and their service to our church. So John and I are excited to see them preach in August and enter into a more formal exploratory process with them of working together, the five of us, for the good of the church. Entering them into more and more the inner workings of what pastoral ministry at Christ Community Church looks like and involving them in service like that. Josh and Ethan this summer have been serving as interns at our church house as they've had time over the summer. And we have been entering them into elders meeting, planning discussions, hearing their perspective on areas that they're already serving in and also involving them in planning to a greater degree into areas like evangelism. Ethan's been helping out greatly with planning evangelism and Josh with the Crossfire Parent Youth Ministry and other areas. We're increasingly involving them in administrative tasks, etc. And it's been such a blessing to watch God work. And it's important for you to know that this is um, happening. We met with the three of them this past week to talk about entering into this exploratory process over this next season, and they agreed to. And it's such a joy discipling them and exploring whether or not pastoring at Christ's community might be a fit for their future. Now, please understand, we're going to take this process slowly. Uh, they understand that it's a process of evaluation and confirmation by uh, John and I, but not just John and I, but also by you as a congregation. And also by Sovereign Grace churches, through which they will begin study for ordination, Lord willing, heading into early fall. It's exciting. And there are no promises made to any of them about it being a sure thing that they're going to be a pastor or going to be an elder in our church. But, but we're excited about it, though, and in faith to enter into it and pray for them. It's an exciting time. We told them that, this is what we told them, we told them that what we're looking for are team players. 
guys that will not view Christ Community Church as a stepping stone to get something for themselves. Or who will seek to use Christ Community Church as a platform for their own selfish ambitions. But humble servants who are eager to serve Christ and to serve you all. Men who have their eyes on you to be a blessing to you. And that is their expressed desire. And that's what I'm so happy to point out to you about these men, even though they're just on the front end. At the end of the exploratory process, perhaps up to two years, depending on how long it takes for them to study for their ordination exam, if we as a congregation affirm their gifting and affirm their godly character and they are able to be ordained in the pastoral ministry in our church, they will most likely be serving bivocationally or as tent makers, as elder pastors. And they and their wives know that this will stretch their lives as they step into more rigorous service. They are eager and willing. And I want to let you know how much joy John and I take in seeing men like these three who have their eyes on serving Christ Community Church and serving Christ Community Church and are eager to point you to Jesus. I'm really looking forward to the days ahead. And it's not only those three. We have other men that are praying about whether or not God might be calling them to pastoral ministry and eldership. And we want godly men to pray about those things and explore that. Not everybody's called to be a pastor or an elder, but pastors and elders can be a real blessing and a gift to help guard the gospel and to keep watch over all of our souls as men who must give an account, as Hebrews thirteen seventeen says. And I can tell you that just even though on the front end, Josh and Ethan and Jason are three guys that really care about your souls and the souls of your children. And I'm so excited and about entering into to this exploratory process with them. Josh, Ethan, and Jason's service is already being felt by us week by week. And we believe that you will feel the difference their gifts will make in our church almost immediately. And so, John and I are excited for you to benefit from their love and zeal for Christ. And we're looking forward to them preaching in August. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. If Tom and the worship band can return. There's a song that I've really come to love. It's entitled, Jesus I My Cross Have Taken. And as we close down for the day, I want us all to take stock of being numbered for war. And to take stock that we're all carried to call, carry the cross daily and follow Jesus. I think of these men, and I think of other men that God might raise up in our midst, other young men that dream of church planning someday or, or, or going and serving the Lord, like Daniel and Caitlin were sent out amongst us, and men and women who God's going to raise up to, to be a great blessing in our church body. And it's going to require all of us to marshal all of our efforts together in order to make this happen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God provided for us so abundantly financially that we could maybe even have these guys not need to serve bivocationally, though they're willing to do so, but we could look to possibly hire another guy eventually or expand our ministry or 
do all these things together in a, at an accelerated rate. You know, this last season would seem to point to, man, it's going to take a while for that to kind of happen. But, brothers and sisters, we're talking about a God who provided for 603,550 people, 2 to 3 million people in the wilderness. It's like nothing to him <laughs> to provide for our needs as a local church. But he is going to use us. And I'd ask you to pray, like, Lord, what does rising faith look like for us as a family in our giving and our prayers and our, and our commitment to the church ourselves? Let us all bind together with fresh commitment to our care groups and fresh commitment to church life. And I know some of us are coming in from a distance. Let's, we're not all able to go on a plane and go to Croatia and sacrifice for the gospel. But man, let our mark be felt. Let our commitment be felt. Let us stand up to be listed amongst the army of God so that we can say to the Lord, Lord, I'm here to carry the cross. I'm here to follow you. Lord, I want to be amongst your people in the wilderness numbered for war. Here I am, use me. Here I am, send me. Church, let us sing. Let us stand. And let us sing this song with our hearts. And let it be a commitment in our heart afresh to say, Lord, what would you have me do to be an even greater blessing to your church? for the glory of your name, so that the name of Christ and the fame of Christ might go forward for your glory. Amen? Let us sing. Church, let us pray together as we close. Let's pray for our church. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your work of grace in our midst. Lord, we ask that you would heal up the wounds that we have experienced. Lord, bind them up and help us to heal with one another and to love one another and bind up each other's wounds and patiently love and care for one another, even as our hearts are aching, even over friends that we still love who have gone out from our midst in your sovereignty. We trust you with all that. But Lord, even as we we, we feel those pains, Lord, we we look to the future in you for us here at Christ Community and we just say our hearts are filled with hope and trust, Lord, as we look ahead. Lord, would you empower us, Holy Spirit, to evangelize stronger, to disciple greater, and to fellowship closer, and to pray more fervently, and to be more committed to you and more committed to one another in these pilgrim days that we have, which, Lord, are comparatively of such short duration compared to the days where every tear will be wiped away. Almighty God, help us to bear the pains that we have here and rise up to serve you with renewed zeal and passion and commitment. Help us to serve your purposes, Almighty God, in our generation and to allow nothing to hold us back from doing our best for you. Almighty God, we can't do this in our own strength. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and fill every man, woman, and child in our church. Bind us together with even fresh cords of love and use us greatly for your glory in the days to come. We pray for a mighty harvest of souls 
to be one, Lord, who are lost right now and who will, in the days and months and years to come, know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior through our personal and corporate witness as a church body. We pray that many men and women would be raised up. Lord, harvesters would be sent out, even as Daniel and Caitlin and Mario and Jen have been sent out. Harvesters would be sent out, Lord of the harvest, from our midst so that many more might come to know Jesus even amongst the nations. Use us in our weakness to show your strength as you've done time and time again. And be glorified as you do these things. Help us never to lose our gaze on Jesus Christ, your Son, Father. Nor ever forget the love that we have from you, Heavenly Father, as you've adopted us into your family. Holy Spirit, thank you that you dwell within us and that you will never leave us and never forsake us. We love you and we are so excited about what you're doing in our midst. And we look forward to the days to come serving you, Christ, side by side with one another. I can't think of anybody I'd rather be doing it more with. We love you, and we ask for your blessing on our church body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't he awesome, church? Isn't our God awesome? Enjoy him as you go about your day. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.